Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The statement about Isaac's life, he was constantly moving. This is the same of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, who is now Israel. And so the same yearning to settle down was in Israel and the same yearning is in the people of Israel. The same yearning in the heart of the people of Israel today, the people of Israel today. Hannah Senesh. Hannah Senesh was a beautiful Hungarian Jewish girl who fled the Hungarian Jewish persecution in 1939, and she came to Israel. She came to the land of Israel, Palestine. And she was a fighter, and she, in her teens, she came. And she joined the Haganah, with the, the underground military force, which fought for Israel's freedom that later became the Israel Defense Force, the IDF. And there she is, relatively safe in Israel during Hitler, during the Nazis, relatively safe. She's there. And in 1944, she volunteers. She volunteers with the British Army to be parachuted into Yugoslavia and then to join the resistance fighters and to cross into Hungary to fight to free the Jews of the Nazis. Can you believe it? When I tell you a story like that, doesn't it bring conviction to you? Don't you think within yourself, you know, I'm safe, I'm, I'm relatively protected within my Christian environment, you know, I should go out door to door, especially the Jewish people, and endure that? You know, look what she did. She was safe in Israel, and she volunteered. She's, she's, in, she's in her 20s. She's 23. And she was captured at the border. And she had a British transmitter on her. It was found. And they knew there was a code. And they wanted the code. And they tortured her to give up the code. She wouldn't give it up. They clubbed her. They clubbed her teeth out. And she was tried for treason. And then at 23 years old, she was shot by the Nazis. Now, before she was killed, Hannah dreamed. And she wrote about the land of Israel for the Jewish people And she wrote these wonderful words. She wrote this. There's only one place in the world from which you do not escape. Nor do you immigrate from. You just come home. Home to the land of Israel. It's wonderful, right? The only problem is that the land of Israel, or what Hannah called home for the Jewish people, home for the people of Jacob, is a place today that's surrounded by enemies, of the Jewish people, and these enemies have vowed their lives to kill and have the total destruction of the Jewish people. Many times more territories than the Jewish people of Jacob. And they have many times are stronger, many times more stronger than the Jewish people of Jacob. They are many times more people than the Jewish people of Jacob. And today, especially today, many times much more money than the Jewish people of Jacob. 
It's frustrating. It was frustrating for Abraham. He couldn't find the way to the city. It was frustrating for Isaac. It was frustrating for Jacob. It's frustrating for the Jewish people today because these enemies, and they cause the Jewish people today to still be like Abraham, still be like Isaac, still be like Jacob, like the people described in 107, Psalm 107, verse four, wandering in the desert in the state of desolation, not finding the road or the way to the city of dwelling. So just like Abraham, just like Isaac, just like Jacob, just like the Jewish people today on earth, wandering in a solitary place until Abraham found his home in Jehovah Jesus. Until Isaac found his home in Jehovah Jesus. Until Jacob and until the Jewish people will find their home in Jehovah Jesus. So what Hanash Senesh said about the only the one place where you do not escape from and you do not have to immigrate from and the only place that's home, that's Jehovah Jesus. That's Jehovah. He is our home. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all found, and soon the Jewish people as well, that there's only one home that satisfies like that, and it's Psalm 27, 4. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What for? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. His desire is not to behold the outward beauty of the sanctuary, not to behold the beauty of the temple, not to behold the beauty of Jerusalem, not to behold the beauty of the new Jerusalem, not to behold the beauty of heaven, but to behold the beauty of the Lord. Jehovah Jesus is our home. And, the Je- and Jehovah Jesus says to us, are you tired? Are you tired? He says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Jehovah Jesus says in John 7, 37, John 7, 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He says, are you hungry? Are you hungry? He says in John 6, 35, John 6, 35, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. Are you dirty? Are you dirty? Revelation 1, 5, him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. All done by coming to him. Now, there's something very important to see in verse three when Jacob says in verse three, let us, let us arise. Let us arise, go up to Bethel. See, when Jacob says let us, we see a man here that is just broken with concern for his household. We have to remember now, we gotta remember now that Jacob's family here that he's addressing, he's addressing all of the Jewish people. So see this as symbolic. Here's the man Jacob addressing all of the Jewish people, his family, and really he's addressing all the Jewish people, and Jacob just didn't have the attitude of, well, I'm rightly related to God and that's all that matters. I'm on my way to heaven, and that's all that counts. You guys are just baggage that I gotta drag around with me. He didn't have that. So, you know, so we're going to Bethel, so get going. That was not Jacob. When we read those words, let us, we can hear such a deep concern in Jacob's heart for his household. This is a concern that Jacob has for the Jewish people. And when Jacob says, let us, we can hear in his voice, the same concern for the Jewish people that was in the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ when he stands over Jerusalem and weeps, he cries, 
over it, and through his tears, he says in Luke 19.41, Luke 19.41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. He wept. He wept when he saw Jerusalem. He saw the capital of the Jewish people. He wept because he saw how much the Jewish people lost, the opportunity that they lost when they didn't receive him as God, Jehovah Jesus. And when Jacob said that in verse two, let us, we can hear in his voice the same concern that Paul had for his own people in Romans 9, 10, 11. And when I read this concern in Jacob, as he says in verse three, let us, it's, it's like personal. I feel personally because I look at Jacob and saying, let us, and I see Jacob so concerned for the Jewish people. And I remember how Pastor Jim, who used to spend three hours a day praying for the Jewish people when I first came here, and he saw how little concerned I was for my own Jewish people, less than concerned, the way they treated me, never mind. It was over 40 years ago that he told me, he says, look, I remember one time he sat down with me and he said, look, if I can be so concerned over your people, you need to be concerned over your own people. And that got to me. That really got to me. And I carried that to the Lord and asked him, give me the heart of Pastor Jim for the Jewish people. If a former Irish Catholic can come and be so broken for the Jewish people, what's the matter with me? Who doesn't spend five minutes in prayer for them? He spends three hours a day. And that's why I'm so excited to have Dan here today because the director of Jews for Jesus in Israel, because we have so much in common. Because he has one physical brother. I have one. You have one physical brother? Yeah, I have one physical brother. Both of us have so much more in common than we do with our own physical brothers. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do. Anyway, so, okay. <laughs> but Dan, like me, has given his heart so that he can have from God a particular, like me, a particular heart affliction that I ask God for, the same heart affliction. What's the heart affliction? Romans 9, 2. Paul writes, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. That's an afflicted heart. For I could wish myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Normally, to have a heart affliction is not something you want, right? But this is a heart affliction to ask God for. It's, if you wanna give it a name, it's the Romans 9-2 heart affliction. The Romans 9-2 heart affliction of great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for the Jewish people. And we've asked God for the same heart desire, the same heart desire that Paul had in Romans 10-1. Romans 10-1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So God wants every believer to have this same Romans 9-2 heart affliction for the Jewish people, and this same Romans 10, 1, hard desire for the salvation of every Jewish person. And the Jewish people can tell you, they can tell, they know. If they're being spoken to by a person that has the Romans 9, 2, heart affliction, they know. The great heaviness, they can see it. They can see it in your eyes. They can see it in your, hear it in your voice they, that you have a great heaviness, a continual sorrow in your heart for the Jewish people. And they can tell, the Jewish people can tell, they can see right through you See, right through you, when they're being spoken to by a person who has a Romans 10, 1 heart desire, they know. They know. I'm talking to a person who's, who can say, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
In fact, that's my goal. That's my goal when I speak to Christians. I don't hide it. My goal is to persuade Christians, to persuade Christians to ask God for the Romans 9-2 heart affliction and the great heaviness, the continual sorrow for the Jewish people. Ask God for the Romans 10-1 heart desire. Hearts desire prayer to God for Israel. They might be saved. Now, not because it's my people, but because the Lord Jesus Christ has the Romans 9-2 heart affliction for the Jewish people. He has the great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for the Jewish people because he has the heart's desire of Romans 10.1, prayer to God for Israel, they might be saved, which means that to have the Lord's Romans 9.2 heart affliction for the Jewish people and to have the Lord's Romans 10.1 heart desire for the Jewish people, to have that is to enter into a unique nearness, a unique nearness of heart through having the same heart affliction and the same heart desire for the Jewish people that brings a believer into a special closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never felt more closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than when I am being cursed at by the Jewish people or when I'm really being abused. There's a blessing that comes from it. I say to him, bruise me more. No, I don't. But anyway. <laughs> Because it's to come in prayer and to say, oh God, I'm so burdened for the Jewish people. And as if, as if you can hear God say, You're a burden for the Jewish people. I stood over Jerusalem and wept for them. I cried out in Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And God says, you're a burden for the Jewish people? Welcome, welcome to my heart burden for the Jewish people. So in verse two, when we read Jacob saying, let us, we can hear in his voice this brokenness because his own family, which was the Jewish people, was so far from God. His heart's sad. We can see Jacob's eyes filling up, pouring out floods of water. The type of brokenness that Jacob had for his family is not the kind of brokenness that brings about a gentle weeping It's a type of brokenness that causes the eyes to become a fountain, which pours out streams. Jacob was looking at the Jewish people, and he's experiencing this sadness. He's looking at the Jewish people. He could say the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah looked at the Jewish people and said in Jeremiah 9.1, Jeremiah 9.1, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. David? David, he was looking at the Jewish people when he said, Psalm 119, 136, 119, 136, rivers of water, rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Lamentations, again, 116, for these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water. Lamentations 218, their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall, of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. See, this is a sadness. This is a deep crying. And that's a compassion. That's the compassion for sinners. That's what the compassion for sinners looks like. This is the compassion for sinners that drives us to pray and work to save sinners. Then we see in verse three, Jacob told his house, what he's going to do when he gets to Bethel. 
He says, I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So he tells them, I have a pressing job to do. Got to go to Bethel. As soon as we get there, I got to make this altar to God. Why was it so pressing? Why was it so, so pressing for Jacob to build this altar in Bethel to God? Three reasons. First, he was told to. It was a matter of obedience in the first verse. God said to him, go to Bethel, dwell there, make the, an altar unto God. Second, he felt he had to build the altar in Bethel because it was a matter of he had to keep his promise. Jacob made a promise in, uh, in Genesis 28-22. Genesis 28-22. He said, this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And third, he had to build the altar because there was something inside of him of a great issue of thanksgiving. It was like this thanksgiving. I've got to do something because I'm so thankful to God. And he says in verse 3, he says, I'm going to go make the altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And then you look at verse 7. He built there an altar, and he calls it El Bethel. And he says, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. See, he's thankful God was with me. He's thankful God appeared to me. And he, so what does he do? He's got to build this altar. And when Jacob's family saw how Jacob had been so strong over this and how wide Jacob had opened his heart to them about building the altar, something miraculous happened in verse 4. It says, they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. That's a miracle. I mean, Rachel, Rachel was not exactly the shy retiring type, okay? And so she wasn't a shy person. So why we could have expected her to step forward first and said, give up the strange gods? No way, are you kidding? I risked my life for these strange gods. When you said, let the person die on whom it is found. I risked my life to have these gods. I'm not giving them up. She might have said, I have faith in my father's gods. That's the reason I stole them. I cherish those gods. I worship those gods. I adore those gods. But she was so moved by Jacob that she's willing to give up all the strange gods. You know, the last word we saw of Jacob's sons, as we saw there, we would expect them to say in defiance, you know, look, we didn't listen to you about the slaughter of the Shechem. We're not going to listen to you now about giving up the strange gods. I mean, sons felt that was their right. They said, it says that in previous chapter, 3427, 3427, the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They would have said, no way, these gods are ours because they defiled our sister, their valuable payment for what they did to our sister. But the miracle was they gave them all up, all of them, all the strange gods, not just a few gods, all, coal, all, gave them back. They didn't keep one idol. And there's a special reference, if you noticed here, to earrings. What's with the earrings? You know, verse 4, earrings. And how they gave all their earrings that was in their ears. The earrings were believed to have powers. The powers to protect from harm and from danger. And the earrings were really part of the idolatry. We just see them coming. They got the earrings hanging from their heads. And and we can see them in shame. And they're bowing their head. And they're taking off their earrings. They're handing them over. That was a great day. That was a great day for the Jewish people to see them under the leadership of Jacob repenting of their idolatry. And to see that picture makes us long for the day 
of Zechariah 12.10 when it says that God will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They'll look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Bitterness for him as one is bitterness for the loss of his firstborn. And by the way, when it says in verse four that they gave unto Jacob the strange gods, it helps us to understand how clearly the Bible teaches the Trinity. The word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible right. That's true. But the Bible teaches there are different persons in the Godheads. Why? The first word in the Bible is Elohim. The first word for God in the Bible is Elohim in Genesis 1.1. It's Elohim. That's the same word that's used here in verse 4 for the strange gods. It's the strange Elohim. It teaches us that, in case we didn't know, that Elohim is God's. Elohim is the true gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, these are the strange Elohim, the strange gods. Now, we read what Jacob did to those strange gods, those idols. It says he hid him under an oak, which was by Shechem. He got rid of him right away. you right there in Shechem. He's not going to take one step further to Bethel with those strange gods. He probably first destroyed them and then buried them under the oak, just like Isaiah in Isaiah 2.20, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, valuable, which they have made one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. Sometimes I receive a gift from Japan, and I know it's from a Buddhist temple practice, and so I have a can, I have gasoline, I have a backyard, I burn them, but I don't tell the Japanese. I don't want to offend them. Because God said in Exodus 25, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now, I told you before about the time when my wife was with our company secretary in Japan, and they were visiting the Buddhist temple, and they came to the money box in front of the gods, and everyone was throwing money. And then my company secretary, our company secretary, she threw money in the box. My wife stands there like she's in rigor mortis. She's stiff as a board. His company secretary says, oh, sorry, sorry. And she goes fumbling, and she gets some money for Cheryl to throw in the box. And Cheryl says, I cannot, I cannot. And the secretary says, why not? And Cheryl said, because my God's a jealous God. <laughs> and the secretary says, what does jealous mean? <laughs> and so my wife asked her, said, well, what happened tonight if you came home and you told your husband how you met a wonderful man? He's so handsome, he's so humorous, he's so smart. She says, oh, our secretary said, my husband would become very angry Cheryl said, that's why I can't throw the money in the box. (laughs) So Jacob understood God's a jealous God. So he defiles the God. He buries them. God's there under the oak tree for the roots to grow in. And now he's ready to move on to Bethel, which we'll do next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the revival in Jacob's heart that you recorded for us to encourage us. There's never a fall too great that we can't come back to you. And thank you, Lord, for the boldness you gave him. And thank you for the obedience of his family to give up those strange gods. And we praise you for that. And we long for the salvation of the Jewish people now that they would turn to Jehovah Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 